Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. In Ephesians chapter 4, so if you want to go ahead and uh, join me over there. Uh, last week, I made the announcement, and I, as, we were, as we were singing we, I started thinking about the power of we together. And uh, many of you have uh, expressed to me an interest in uh, pursuing membership at church. And so very quickly, I want to just explain to you why it's important. And, uh, and you know, we believe that, that God uh, has called us into community, into relationships to live out our faith. And, uh, and so I'm really glad that, that you are here, uh, at least today. Uh, but there is power in community and joining together. Uh, and, and really, membership is, and I don't want to speak ill of it because it's important, but to me, it's more of a matter, it's not a matter of your names in paper. To me, it's a matter of, of saying, I want to be identified with these people. I want to walk in that identity. Uh, it's, not, it's not legal, and there's not really many benefits. It's more of just uh, uh, identity of belonging and wanting to be a part of uh, more of a not, you know, we can join together in a covenant relationship, but it's more contractual where it's, I want to hold you accountable and I'm giving you permission to hold me accountable too. So if you want to, you know, maybe you've been here for some time now and, and you're interested in having your identity placed at Connect Church, uh, just want to show you how, how that's possible. And uh, so if you, if you would like, just see me before you go and I'll make sure to include you in that, in that communication. And uh, so, again, it's not because we want anything from you. We want, we, want, we want things for you as a church. That's why God has called us here to exist. Us, not us, us, is to be for each other and to demonstrate his kingdom in such a way as manifests his glory. Which brings us to his revelation to us and his revealing his grace and his glory to us, which is really, for me, the theme of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians begins the first three chapters. Uh, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus that he founded a couple of years previously. And he is informing them now as they have kind of gotten through the cobwebs of faith and starting to ask different questions than they used to when they were newly formed babes in Christ. And, and he is uh, helping them process what the church's purpose looks like, how it's accomplished, and all those sorts of things. So the first three chapters of this letter is much more theological. It's much more doctrinal. It is the, it is the how grace is possible. The last three chapters, fours, five, and six, are more of how that grace looks as it's lived out every day. So we know now how grace is disseminated to us, and, and currently we are learning what does it look like in every relationship. Now Paul starts in chapter four in referring to the church, the corporate gathering of God's people, the belonging of one another, which was very, very important and is, to this day, very important. 
uh, to us. And so uh, one of the things that Paul mentions to us in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, I want you just to, to turn there maybe for a moment or listen as I read. He says, making known to us, this is part of God's grace revealed through Paul. He says, making known to us the mystery of his will. Now, it doesn't remain a mystery. The mystery of his will is according to his time to... Uh, to set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So that's the mystery. That's the mystery of revealing grace is that God himself is choosing to unite all things in himself, things on, on earth and things in heaven. All things become one in Christ. That is, that is God's purpose. And so we know that grace and the gifts that God gives us and the grace that God gives us and the, the revelation that God gives us, all of these things work together so that we might be unified in him. And if the ultimate goal is to be unified in him, then we must be unified in each other. That's how that must work, which is why Paul starts in chapter 4 in talking about the unity that we experience when we are communally gathered together for worship. So together, if we are in Christ, then he is also in us. We become one with him. He has told us that we are adopted. He has changed our spiritual DNA to be one with him. So if Christ is in me, then I am in him, and we are a part of each other, and Christ is the head of the body, and we are the body of Christ joined together, fulfilling our role and, and function. So it would, it would make sense to us that the first place that Paul begins is the church. Now, several weeks ago, I expressed to you uh, sort of an algorithm of how I believe that this works. So God, God places his, himself in us. And one of the first places that that, that that works is in our own thought processes, our own heart, our own spirit, our own actions. As we practice that in and of ourselves, we find a great first place to practice in our homes. It's the safest place to practice our faith. It's where we experience unconditional love, whether it's through a spouse or our, our family or whether it's through roommates or whatever. That's the place that we should find most acceptance is in the confines of our, of our home, the place that we reside. As we learn to process that in a, in, a very, in a place where we could be very vulnerable, the second place that we express it is in the body of Christ. So we come into places like this and we learn to express all the things that God has called us to do and to be, to forgive, to love, to serve, to, to, to bear with, to understand, to esteem, all of these things that are very difficult to do in a, in a, in a rough world, dark world, we should be able to find commonality in here as we practice and as we learn to love and we learn to serve and we learn to forgive and we learn to give grace in here, it's practice for giving it out there where we are incredibly vulnerable. So Paul is addressing the church here because if you're going to be effective uniting all things into Christ, then you're not going to need a proving ground. You're going to need a, a, a safe body in which to obey Christ in. 
So now we're going to be at chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What this simply means is that each one gets grace according to the grace, not out of, but according to the grace that was given. So every individual he's talking about. Now, oftentimes when I'm preaching, I'm trying to motivate and encourage individual believers. That's a part of preaching. But, but truly, truly, much of what should be done in a church is a rally cry for all of us together to remember who we are together. We must never forget that because if we come to church and are only looking for what applies to us, I promise you as a byproduct that we become consumers. We can't help from it. It's, it naturally occurs. Well, wonder what I'm going to hear today, not wonder what God is calling us to do. And so when he says this, he's talking to individual believers, but for the benefit of all of us. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, needing to explain this further. He says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Now, this is not Paul telling us that when Jesus died on the cross, he went to hell. What this is saying is that when Jesus was in heaven, he descended to earth as a man. And he lived as a man. And he preached to men. And when he did die, he went to a place of paradise to preach to all of the redeemed saints of old. And he freed them from that place of paradise to where he is in the presence of the Father. And he walked the earth for 40 days and then he ascended back to the Father. And when he did, he gave us an incredible gift that we had never experienced before. He gave us the ministry of the Holy Spirit to indwell into the life of the believer. And so this is an incredible gift that Jesus gave us. He descended, he ascended, and he gave us gifts. That gift of unity, the gift to fulfill God's purpose in our life, to unite us together so that we could unite all of the world together into, into God. In fact, he says, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. You see that the point of Jesus is an ascension was so that he might dwell in all things. And if, if one who satisfies the penalty of sin, if one indwells all things and all things unite together, there can be no division. In the body of Christ. The, the, the division only implies that someone's not in step with Christ. Someone's not living in that indwelling of the gift. That he might feel all things or fulfill all things. Verse 11. And here among the gifts, the grace gifts, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the shepherds, the pastors and teachers. Why? They are not necessarily the goal of the gift. He gave them the gift of these truth teachers to equip the saints 
for the work of ministry, not the work of the ministry, the work of ministry. For what is the work of ministry? That's a very important question. We talk about ministering to someone or ministering here or ministering there. What is ministry? Paul goes on to say, it is the building up of the body of Christ. That which builds up the body of Christ is ministry. Now, when can we stop? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of, and the antecedent there, is the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is held and is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when it, each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's another building up in love. So we're going to break some of this down here in... Uh, there are four things I believe that Paul is telling us in this section that the body, I know that he's telling it to Ephesus. I believe that he's giving it to, to us as well. Now, again, this is, this is not a message for members of Connect Church. This is a message for members of the body of Christ. It does apply to those who are already in Christ, to those that Christ is in already. But the one purpose, one of the purposes that, call, that Paul calls us to through the Spirit is the upbuilding of the body. And, and verse 12 tells us that, that Jesus actually gives leaders to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service or of ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. So one of the responsibilities that we have as individuals in one body is building up the body, being encouraging to the body, making sure that there is growth stimulated in each one of us. It is all of our responsibilities. It is not one of our responsibilities. It is all of our responsibilities to look out for each other and to make sure that there is growth, that Christ is being formed in each one, being intentional to look, to make sure that everyone is encouraged to continue to pursue Christ. That's what that means. And we find that most easy in our corporate gatherings. Now, in a lot of ways, what we do on Sunday morning is incredibly limited to be able to fulfill this role. Why can I say that? It's because right now, I'm the only one doing that. But we're all called to do that. I may be the pastor of this church, and it is my primary responsibility to dispense the truth of Jesus Christ into us all. But it is all of our responsibilities to apply that truth into each other. And we can't do that while we're spectators. We can only do that as we serve each other, as we arrive early, as we leave a little late, as we invite people into our lives at lunch or into community group or into any other kind of opportunity where we can build each other up. 
The second purpose of grace, the second purpose of the gifts that God gives us is the unity of faith and the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's in verse 13. So we must continue on building up the body until there is unity in our faith. Not just finding that that quick fix to the issue that we had this week. Not looking for that wise word or that good advice that can help me in a communication with my wife or that helps me with a financial decision. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about that church is a place where we come together and we continue to upbuild each other and to lift each other up until there is unity among us in the faith, where there is agreement that we know who Jesus is. That's the second part, the knowledge of the Son of God. So there must be unity in our faith. And you know, I'm telling you, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a, you know, a, just harping on things all, all the time. That's, that's not the kind of ministry that I want. It's not the kind of preaching that I want to do. It doesn't build up. But I am telling you that we are on a thin line, not as a church, but as a culture where everybody picks a little from here and picks a little from here and picks a little from here and and people aren't necessarily committed to a church, but maybe the church. And and what we're doing is we're, we're having, every church is having to water down what they believe to compete with what everybody else is teaching. Because people don't want to stay in one place to find unity of the faith and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We can't find those things in one place because churches are having to compete against each other For the people that they're trying to build up, it's dangerous. It won't work. It's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to belong to one another because we're one. And I know it's easy to say, well, but I don't really want to go to one church. I'm I'm really more of a, I just go wherever the Spirit directs me. Well, then you're in opposition to the Word of God because that's not how the Holy Spirit works. He unites us together in one corporate body so that we can learn track records and we can learn, uh, you know, spiritual gifts of each other and we can learn to depend upon the ministry of each other. Yes, of course, God directs us from place to place. There's no doubt about that. There's times to leave and there's times to go, all of those sorts of times. There's times to stay, but we have to make sure we're listening to the Spirit and not just the craving of our felt need. I've never understood this. And as a pastor, I've seen it a whole lot. And I don't mean to, again, this isn't preaching, okay? This is just kind of ranting for a moment. I apologize a little bit for that. If somebody already goes to church somewhere, don't invite them here. Unless unless where they're at, they are not able to do what the God has called them to do, there's a time for that. But, but when you're t- you should go to church with me sometime. Don't, don't, don't dislodge things in people away from the people God's called them to. All right? There's a time for people to change churches. But they should be able to do that with the blessing of those that they already belong to. Not, not just to go to church with friends. That's not what church is for. Church isn't a place where you have to be with the people that you agree with. Church is a place where you learn to agree with the people that you're with around the core doctrine of Jesus Christ and the unity of our faith and the knowledge of him. It's important to make a firm commitment to each other, not because you like the preaching style of a pastor or because you don't like the preaching style of another pastor or you prefer this teacher or that teacher, but a place where we belong to each 
other. And we grow through friction. We grow through crises. We grow through the issues that would cause us to run away. But when we stay, it deepens. It deepens when we contribute financially to each other. It deepens when we've served each other through diapering their kids. It, it works when we have visited the nursing homes and we have visited the funeral homes and we've taken food or, or money to people that are hurting. It deepens, it strengthens us. And the world looks and they say, boy, I don't, my community's not like that. Third, the purpose of grace in the church is Christ-likeness. That's why he gave it. Listen, church isn't so you can become a better version of yourself. Church isn't a place where you can come and just listen to some good advice. Church is a place where we stay committed to pursuing and producing Christ-likeness in our life and in our lives together. Church isn't an individual sport. It's not a spectator sport. It is sometimes full contact and very much team. And it takes a long time to build it, to build it right. Now, we could have steak dinners for lunch and we could build a big number, maybe, if they're cooked right. But we probably wouldn't agree on what a cooked right steak tastes like. But what we can agree on is what does the Word of God say about Jesus Christ? And it takes a while to build that. He also says here, I wanted to bring it up, the second part of verse 13 is, is, is to produce a mature man, to produce mature manhood, not men. What, what, what am I saying there? What I am saying is we are all don't be offended, okay, I don't, just generally speaking, we are all one man. That's what he is saying. Not building up of men, not as individuals. That's why the word's not plural. It's singular. Because we are all that one entity, and we are all to be growing into that mature man. So in other words, what Paul is saying is we must be allowing ourselves to be enriched by the gifts and the grace of God and then taking that benefit of the, that grace and using that enrichment for others around us. Jesus is the head of the church, the body. He is fully mature. He is fully complete. And the church that is his body must also work toward maturity and completeness. Now, what Paul is telling us here is that only happens. It cannot happen by teaching alone. It happens through unity, and it happens through cooperation. That is so important, and I'm afraid that so many churches are missing it. Hoping to build a church by charismatic teaching will not work. I've seen it dozens of times where a great church planner is a great orator and he speaks and he does eloquently and as soon as he leaves, because that's what it was built on. The church of Jesus Christ has to be built on each other, not the one who gets the microphone. 
It's very important. Whether it's one microphone or whether it's a dozen microphones. The church isn't built on a microphone. It's built on the love of God's people pouring into the lives of God's people. Unity and cooperation. That's where growth occurs. Now, some people can say, and they can sit here every Sunday morning for years and then come to a point where they say, you know what? I'm just not growing in my faith. It's no wonder. That's not where growing in your faith comes from. Growing in your faith doesn't come from hearing. Growing in your faith comes from unity and cooperation. That's what Paul is saying right here. If you want to grow in your faith, you need to serve each other. If you want to grow in your faith, you need to participate in each other's lives. Ask anybody who's on a serve team when they begin to see growth occurring in their faith. It's when you start giving your life away to one another. It's not not a church growth tool. It's what Paul is telling the church at Ephesus to do. It's God's grace that allows it but it's our spiritual relationship with one another that accomplishes it. That's why church attendance, and listen, again, I I want this to be encouraging to us, but I also want to set a baseline for us. I want this to go deeply into our DNA because I know what the Spirit is, is desiring to do among us. That's why church attendance is so incredibly important. And I know we don't value it much is because, you know, we go through life and we're like, you know what? Things are pretty good right now. I don't want to lose my place in line, so I'll go to church. But things are going pretty good right now. I miss every other week. Again, don't feel beat up because I want this for you. I don't, we don't, I'm not counting your heads when you're here. But I am telling you that there are things that you're not getting to be built when you're not here, when you're not just not here, when you're not cooperating in each other's lives. That's why it's important to get to know each other. That's why it's important to shake hands with each other. It's why it's important to share a meal with each other so that we'll know how to serve one another. It's also why personality-driven church is so dangerous. It's why COVID has been so dangerous. It's why Hebrews implores us not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. The pastor is to equip the church to minister to each other. This is why group life and Bible study groups, community groups, is so incredibly important is to be able to belong to each other. Obviously, 500 people can't belong to each other in a corporate setting. I get that. But I will say this. It's a whole lot easier to belong to a smaller group of people. That's why I've said for a long time, if our church is going to grow numerically, it's got to get smaller. We've got to be able to find ourselves in relatable groups of people where we can grow. Not all the same gender and not all the same age group and not all the same desires and not all the same vacation plans, but a group where we can upbuild each other regardless of our demographic.
Well, most of the time it's overlooked and sometimes it's even avoided. And there's lots of excuses. I've heard, I've heard a lot of them. Uh, you know, sometimes people don't value what they have. They don't value their gifting. So maybe they don't know what their giftings are for the body. But if, but if you're disengaged from the body, you'll never be able to figure out what your gifting is to the body. Some people may say, well, nobody cares about whatever it is that I can contribute or somebody else is going to contribute my part or, you know, I've, I've served my time. It's time for somebody else or I don't want to make that commitment because then they expect me to be there every week or there's lots of excuses. There's lots of reasons to avoid this, but there is no other way to grow in the unity of faith and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There's no other mechanism. We should submit to one another, teach each other. Some as teachers, some as students. You know, as a teacher, one of my spiritual gifts is teaching. I surprised, that probably surprised some of you. But uh, it, it teach, as a teacher, I'm telling you, I've been in rooms as a teacher where I've learned just as much from the students as I've learned from my own study. So you may say, well, God hadn't called me to teach. No, but you know what? Some people teach better from the chair. I've been in rooms where the wisest people weren't the ones with the workbook. The final purpose and the benefit to the church and our ministries as we work out the grace of God to each other by building each other up spiritually and building our influence and our attendance numerically through our individual ministry. All right? So it's, it's not only a purpose, but it's a very necessary byproduct of, uh, of, of that to others. It's, it's important. Listen, it's, it's important. What Paul says, I'm going to read what, what he says. Verse 14, so that, so this is, so that is these purposes exist so that this purpose can exist. That we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So what he's saying here is there is a further byproduct and that is, is that we know who we are spiritually and that we don't fall prey to every little nuanced weirdo doctrine that comes along. You know, some churches change what they believe and all that stuff very often, but what we're teaching has been around for 2,000 years. There's not new information. And here, I'm just, you know, maybe it's cute. I don't know. Maybe it's a roll of the eye. But, man, if it's fresh and new, you need to, you need to be very careful. I mean, we're looking for tried and true in Scripture because God's Word doesn't change. And if somebody after 2,000 years finds some secret that no other Christian has found in 2,000 years, it probably ain't true. I don't care what experience says. It's the Word of God that stands. So it's important that our truth believed and revealed through us is the truth of Jesus Christ and his word so that we're not gullible and unstable so that we're not tossed to and fro so that we can be consistent and grounded you know what would happen if you took a if you took a flower and you just kept digging it up and planting it in a different soil you know what's going to happen to it it's going to die say well it's still soil yeah but it's 
It doesn't, it's not taking the time to build up a foundation, to develop roots. And that's what happens when, when doctrine shifts and changes and we move through this one and that one and we don't know what we believe. It's eventually we'll die. So when the, when the whole body is working together, we use each other to be accountable. Listen, I'm telling you, and I really believe that this is true. If I teach something here that just doesn't bear witness with your spirit, I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to tell me that. I want you to say, that's not what the Scripture's teaching. Or in a Sunday school class, we, we've got to be able to hold each other accountable. We should be able to hold each other accountable to truth. And not say, well, that's your truth, that's not my truth, or that's not what I believe about that. And I mean, there's got to be some, you know, I don't want to say compromises, but there's got to be some room in the non-essentials. You know, did Adam have a belly button? <laughs> no. His mama didn't have an umbilical cord, so I'd say that's a big No. What difference does it make? This, let's just worship the Lord together, right? But there are some things that really matter. Some things that are significant and they matter a lot. In fact, there is one common one that I hear a lot. I'm not, this message is not about it. This message is an illustration of it, okay? So I want to give you a case in point. I hear many arguments today in, in reference to, to homosexuality. Now, many of you have asked me this specific question. Not about, you know, homosexuality, right or wrong, but what does the Bible say about it? And, and so rather than me continue to have that conversation over and over, I'm just going to go ahead and use this as an illustration here, okay? So, so just listen really, uh, really clearly that, that homosexuality is a new ad. It's not in the Bible, but men added it in the 40s. That's when I heard, I don't know, you may have heard it a different year, but that it wasn't added into the Bible until 1946. Now, in Leviticus chapter 18, in Leviticus chapter 20, uh, and Paul references it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and then again in 1 Timothy chapter 1. These verses, some people say it's not in the New Testament. Well, it absolutely is. Oh, well, if you include the ones that wasn't added until 1946, okay? So, again, just trying to make this really clear. The word... That, that is debated is the word arsenicotai, okay? It's a very important word because there are many proponents to taking this word and re-referencing it that Moses' law in Leviticus 18 and 20 spoke negatively about men being with men because they couldn't have children and the nation of Israel wasn't producing as many people. And so don't do that. You should be multiplying, not not this, not calling it out as sin, just saying, hey, it's not to be preferred if we're going to be preserved as a nation. It was important for them, so, you know, don't do that. But that's not, that's cultural for them, not for us. This, of course, rewrites the context. And if you went to Leviticus chapter 18 and Leviticus chapter 20, you will see that is absolutely not the context at all that Moses is referring to there. But if you don't go read the scripture, you might fall prey to the argument. And you might hear that and say, I didn't, I didn't, I never thought of it like that. And so before long, we begin to become gullible to untruths. 
And it, this unifies us. When Paul uses the word, actually, believe it or not, so the Old Testament had been translated in Greek, and he's just he's using the words from there, same words, but he's, he coins a word based on those contexts for the New Testament church. Some people say, well, yeah, but Paul, Paul was talking about older men taking advantage of younger men. Actually, what their word would be is Paul is referencing pedophilia, which we would absolutely oppose. But not homosexuality. That's not what Paul had in mind. But the word doesn't allow for that. The word doesn't allow for age. It doesn't allow for abuse. It doesn't allow for sodomy or any of those things. And how I know that is because Paul is the only one who used it. He made it up. He took a, 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 a simple closed compound word from two words. One being arson, which means man. Two, kotai, which means bed. What Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and again in 1 Timothy chapter 1, is that men, there should be no such thing as a men-only bed. That's the broken down, rough version of what the word could only mean. And Paul says it's an abomination before the Lord. But if you only hear that, well, but the word wasn't even translated in Scripture until 1946, then I will tell you that the word wasn't even created until 1896 in Germany. Homosexual. The word didn't exist. Of course it couldn't be found in translations of Scripture. The word didn't exist. But the, one of the, some of the first translations after the word was coined and put into the dictionary... That's the word that began being used. But if we're not careful, we'll fall prey to the crafting cunningness of deceitful men and begin to say, well, maybe, and all of a sudden, the church goes a completely different direction than the unity of the faith and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I know that's a lot. That's not the point of the message. The point of the message is if we're not focused on the word of God and holding each other accountable, it's really easy to slip. Really easy to slip. So what I would say is, as each one of us are called to be in the word of God, that we should bring the overflow of our daily word of God into our relationships with one another. We need each other's sharpening so that we can purify the word of God. Not what does it say to me, but what is the word of God saying to us? So that we can be consistent and unified together. The further we go, the more cunning and craftiness is going to try to rewrite truth. I can assure you, I've seen it, I've seen it over almost the 50 years of my life and 30 years of ministry, almost. I've seen how slowly truth trickles out and it diminishes the authority of the word of God which diminishes the authority of the people of God. 
More and more believers, I believe, are going to believe the logic and be gullible because they've not been committed and connected to the body of Christ, which is connected to Christ himself. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 10, and then, talking about this is the Olivet Discourse when he's talking about the end of, of all things, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. That's why love is the greatest gift. But love has to flow out of the truth. Matthew chapter 24, verse 23, Jesus says here, If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. What he's saying is, there's going to be some that come by that are going to be so difficult to explain away. There's going to be signs. There's going to be wonders. And some are going to be tempted to say, I believe that really is Jesus. I believe I'm going to follow this direction. It is going to happen, but not to us, God forbid. Because I want to be connected with one another. Even if we're the only ones left, I want us to find unity in the faith and the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Don't care what the world has to say or what the world wants to rewrite. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or by a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. What Paul is saying is a time is going to come when you're going to, you're going to have to really know what the truth is or you're going to be gullible. Oh, here's a letter from Paul. I'm just thinking about things like as silly as the Da Vinci Code and all these false gospels and all this stuff we learn about Jesus' relationship with Mary Magdalene and all these other truths and all of these things that are going on. And people are like, wow, I didn't even know that was true. It's not true. Paul said it's not true. Tried and true, not fresh and new. Archaeology can only reveal so much. Sometimes we can look at things and say, nope, that's fake news now how do we do it i'm gonna i'm almost done how do we do it verse 15 tells us here's how we are able to produce the purposes of the church the the unity the growing in christ likeness the 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 learning to love and engage in each other here here is the how verse 15 speaking the truth in what love Speaking the truth. Everything that Paul has said so far in chapter 4 is truth, truth, truth. Even the, the gifts that God gave the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, these are all truth people. These are people that are disseminating truth and giving out truth. And then he starts talking about the 
unity of our faith and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, these are all hard and fast truths. So when he says, speak the truth, this is what he's talking about. Now, really quickly, sometimes we say, well, we need to speak the truth in love like because it softens the blow of the truth. Like, okay, well, you didn't make the team. So I'm going to speak the truth, but i got to do it in a way that protects your feelings and your emotions. That's probably really good advice. You should do that. You should care about how other people are going to receive truthful things. However, that is not what Paul is talking about. Paul, the truth he's talking about here is the doctrines of Jesus Christ. That's how all of this gets produced. Yeah, the pastor equips and the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists equip the saints to do the work of ministry. What is the work of the ministry? Speaking the truth in love. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? It means to make sure that you're reminding each other and encouraging each other who Jesus is regularly, constantly investing Jesus Christ in each other and do it because you love each other, because you want the best for each other, not because it's your spiritual gift or not because you you are angry at somebody, but because you love somebody. You're raising people up in the truth of Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's not my ministry. It's all of our ministries. You don't have to say, am I called to that? You are. Find, not necessarily a pulpit, but some may need to do that. But we all need to find the opportunity to invest the truth of Jesus Christ in love to one another. consistent with what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 he says all scripture is listen scripture we're talking about the doctrines of our faith all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness we know that the word of God is powerful the very next verse says, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you see that? The truth of God's word is beneficial. And if the truth of God's word, the unity of our faith, and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our relationship with one another, that's the only way that we can find completeness and growth spiritually. So since the truth of Jesus Christ is the only place to have it, make sure you speak it in love. You don't need to have a Sunday, you don't need to be the teacher of a Sunday school class to speak the truth in love. You just have to be engaged in people's lives. You don't have to be a deacon, you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to work with kids. You don't have to do any of those things to speak the truth in love. You just have to be engaged in each other's lives and learn to listen to each other and to notice each other, to love each other, to pray for each other. But our ministry isn't just to pray. Our ministry is to pray, to be sensitive to the Spirit, and then to speak. Why? So that He might fill us and that we might all be united in the Lord. Truth and love are very important. In fact, if you have, if you have truth but no love, Paul says knowledge, 
puffs up, makes us arrogant. I know a lot of people who prefer truth and they're arrogant. And love, if you love without truth, sometimes that's a little bit dicey because you say whatever the person needs to hear because you love them, but not necessarily the truth. But the truth and love in balance is Christ-likeness, who is full of truth and love. All right, last verse, and I'm done. What Paul says is, in, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, he says that your love might abound more and more in all knowledge and discernment. See, again, in balance. So Paul tells us in verse 16 as we close that, well, let me just read it again quickly. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint. Believe it or not, that word is, is an incredible word. It's one, of the, it's one of the places where we got the name Connect Church. Is that what, that's what the word means. It means the connection place, the place of bonding. So if you think about, we're talking about the body of Christ. We think about the joints of the body where tissue connects, where the bones come together in the joint, but there's ligaments and sinews and all of these things that come together to hold it together. That's the place where growth occurs is in the places of connection. That's what Paul was saying right here. Fitted and held together by connection. Yeah, we are connected to worship, connected to the Word, connected to our walk, and connected to the world. That's, that's the four pillars that our church stands on. But it is in our connection, in our everyday walk, where we are connected to each other. That's where growth occurs. That's why it is so important for us to love each other and be together. That's why our, our re weekly reunions there's no substitute. The internet cannot substitute face-to-face -face connection and bonding. That's why 30% of the American church has fallen away from church. There's no growth, only confusion. Because every now and then they watch online and they think that's enough. It's not. It's not the way God designed it. Face-to-face sitting at a table, sharing a meal, praying together. That's where it happens. When each part, verse 16, each part. Here's the best news I've got for you. Uh, a lot of people, I think, in fact, most people that are Christians say they want to, one of their goals is to grow in their faith. Uh, you don't have to worry about growing in your faith. You can set that aside as a goal. Uh, growth is a byproduct. Now, just like J Jesus taught in, in, uh, in John chapter 15 with the branches and the vine, you know, the, 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 the branch doesn't have to worry about producing anything. All it has to focus on is abiding in the vine. So the same thing is true for the church. You don't have to worry about growing in Christ-likeness. It doesn't come from head knowledge. It comes from unity with brothers and sisters. It comes from serving together. It comes from those places of connection. That's where growth occurs. 
It comes from agreeing together about who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. It comes from serving with our spiritual gifts one another for the common good and reaching that common good out into the community that doesn't know Jesus yet and being patient as people are growing at different levels in their faith relationships. That's, what, that's where growth occurs. You don't have to worry about you know, spending time in the Word of God every day and reading. You're not going to grow by doing that. But you are going to have seeds by which you can plant into other people. And when you are planting that into other people, that's where you begin to grow. But growth is a byproduct of that. If you focus on the growth, you might not. But if you focus on one another and belonging to the community, a faith that God has called you to and you remain committed to that, I'm telling you, we're all going to grow in Christ-likeness together. Let's stand together. appreciate your patience this morning as I've muddled my way through this passage I get I get not necessarily nervous or anxious but I get concerned because as God has called me to equip the saints for the work of ministry you know there's always work to be done and there's always the scratching of the head and saying man am I messing this whole thing up and so there's concern when, when I want, because I know what the Spirit wants for us. And, you know, is that, is that being given away appropriately to us so that we're, you know, so that we're, we know what to say yes to and who to say yes to? And I see so many new people over the course of the year. And I say, and I know who we have been as a church. And this past year has really kind of rocked the methods of that. But it can't change the who we are. But I don't know that people are getting the right picture of that and knowing where their part is and each one doing their part and knowing each other's names even. So I get a little passionate because I know what I want for us. I don't know what many of you want for us. I just want, I want all of us to know that together and say yes together. And I'm telling you, it turned the world upside down once before, and I am convinced it has the same power to do it again. So what I want us to do today is I want us just to, to bow our heads, and I want us just to pray, and I, I don't want you to hear, listen, there are lots of lies that create paralysis and silence in a person's Christian life. Fear and dread, guilt and shame. There are, there are voices aplenty. But I want us to hear what God says to us this morning. And I want each one of us to see our value in the body. There's not a person in this room. If you've only been in this building for one hour or a hundred years, every person in this room right now are valuable. The Lord brought you here. Because he's doing something among us. And for us to be what we're supposed to be, we need each one. And I'm grateful that you're here. And I hope that you feel at home, a part of the body of Christ, where he and he alone is the head. 
And now we learn to love each other and remind each other of who we are in Jesus Christ until we look just like him and act just like him together as we serve the world, even if it means a cross, which is what Jesus Christ, exactly the thing that Jesus Christ modeled for us. So I I want you to put aside the I don't matter, I'm too busy, nobody cares. I want you to put all that aside. I've tried it before and I got hurt. I want you to lay all of those lies that you are believing and I want you to hear this. When everyone understands who they are in the body of Christ, we'll continue to look more and more like him. We need you and you need us. Join together in the unity of our faith and the knowledge of Jesus Christ until we look like him. Lord, I thank you for this time together today. And I pray that, that all of my brothers and sisters in this room, whether, whether they feel a connection to this people or to this place or not, but I pray that every ear under the sound of my voice will hear their value from you. And the role, the important role that you have called them to, to do, to be a part of. Lord, thank you for the possibility of growth. I thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you for raising us up. Thank you for ascending so that you might dwell us and fill us. And thank you that you have placed your ministry now in us and it is shared. And I pray that as a church, Lord, we would just dig a little deeper, maybe embrace a little more discomfort, maybe be a little bit more intentional and learn the the value of we together to produce for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.